0: You built a time machine? Kind of a DeLorean? This is the stupid Cancer show. Uh oh. Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mondays. Because he has a lot of chutzpah. <laughs> Hello there children hey hey kids <laughs> people seem to like me because I am polite and I'm rarely late and now the hosts of the stupid
3: cancer show Lisa Bernhard and Matthew Woo-hoo! not even zap nothing there's anything wrong with us <laughs>
4: oh Monday, September 10th, and welcome back to the Season 10 broadcast premiere of The Stupid Cancer Show, the voice of young adult cancer. My name is Matthew Zachary, and I am a 16-year young adult survivor of pediatric brain cancer.
2: And my name is Staya Scott and for Lisa Bernhardt tonight. I'm a fourteen year young adult lymphoma survivor and we're your host for the Stupid Cancer Show.
4: Alrighty, it's not okay. That seventy two thousand young adults are diagnosed with cancer each and every year, so got cancer under forty sucks, huh? Time to get busy, living because the stupid cancer show is changing the world one chemo infusion at a time.
2: And on tonight's show, we have a Survivor Spotlight of Thomas Lavero in studio with us tonight. He is a young adult survivor of cordial melanoma, venture investor for RRE Ventures. We also are going to have Ethan Zahn for young adult survivor of Hodgkin's lymphoma, founder of the Grassroots Soccer, and celebrity spokesperson for Stand Up for Cancer. Tom Corio, Vice, Senior Vice President of Entertainment Industry Foundation the Stand Up for Cancer. And Dr. Philip Sharp, Nobel Prize-winning molecular biologist, National Medal of Science winner from 2006, also professor of biology at the McGovern Institute and the Scientific Advisory Council Chair for Stand Up to Cancer.
4: Okay, the Stupid Cancer Show is a production of Stupid Cancer. Online at stupidcancer.org, the largest support community for the young adult cancer movement, so welcome aboard another fun and exciting run through the Hangout Tonight's Stupid Cancer Show, where remission is not a cure and survivorship is all that matters.
2: And a stupid cancer welcome to any and all of our first-time listeners here on the Block Talk Radio Network and on iTunes as we broadcast live from the chemo deck, our fabulous studio in New York City.
4: And with that, our self-aggressioning applause. <laughs> Kenny Kane. Matthew, Zachary,
1: it's fabulous to see you here.
4: Something's different in the studio tonight. I can't it, tell what it is. It's my beard. It is your beard. I should have introduced your beard it's
1: separately It's always you. my beard.
4: It is always your beard.
1: My, my one and only... Uh, you know how they call the goggles or the glasses that, like, the Army guys wear? They call them uh, BCGs, birth control glasses.
4: <laughs> <laughs> this is my
1: BCB, birth control beard.
4: Okay, okay. Clearly you are going to be uh, it, abstinence it, only it, on purpose.
1: Quite effective.
4: Okay. So it gives me meaning to, the first, to like, to brawn. Yeah. Exactly. Okay, exactly.
1: Yeah, the opposite of that. unbrawn Right.
4: Whatever. Un- I mean,
1: more Mr. Clean than brawn. <laughs>
4: Although exactly. you'd
1: be Mr. Clean.
4: I would be Mr. Clean. Well, we are here to welcome uh, Lisa Bernhardt, is actually on safari in South Africa, an unavoidable vacation. But uh, we, 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 we give her some, some leeway and latitude every now and then. Yeah,
1: she could have called in from the SAT
4: phone, but we yeah. give her. Yeah, I mean, like, come on. You're on a line or a rhino, you can't call into the show. Hopefully, not Jim Carrey coming out of
1: the rhino. Oh,
2: God. <laughs> That's a, a That's like an Ace visual. Ventura reference yeah. to kick
4: the season off. Fantastic. Faya Linscott, how are you?
2: I'm doing super fantastic. Now
4: you're the latest addition to our cavalcade of comedy here at the stupid cancer ecosystem in New York City.
2: Yes, and, and that's fully loaded weapon, I'm sure. You
4: are a fully loaded weapon. Kenny and I uh, may had the misfortune of working with some of the brilliant young minds at NYU Stern School of Business, and um, you were an alumni of one of the classes yeah. the year before the class we work with.
2: Yes, uh, NYU is definitely. Uh, kicking some butt and taking some names in public relations and corporate communication, and I know that they're really excited to keep working with us, so that's great news.
4: And as required for anyone sitting in that seat, you actually did survive cancer?
2: Correct. I am a 14-year cancer survivor of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, and thank you. Thank you. Everyone
1: gets the applause. I was wondering why it, why it hurts when I sit there. It's just like a, <laughs> The chair is telling you something. It's a
2: pinching feeling. Yes. yes. And it's been really amazing to be joining the Stupid Cancer family and getting to know all of you lovely gentlemen. Oh, please. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
4: And we're joined again by Mr. Matty Beckett. Hello, Matt. Hey, how are you? You know, you can lower the mic, too. You don't have to giraffe yourself (laughs) up to it. He's
1: like slam dunking the microphone (laughs) with his mouth.
4: (laughs) No, he's doing the uh, the Darwinian thing with the giraffes when the necks get longer because they have to get the fruit. Remember that?
1: No. Which is
4: not true, but that's what they thought. Like, giraffes' necks got longer because the... Anyway, never mind. Is that why you keep your food at eye level? Yes, so
1: you don't have to do I, I that? do not
4: need to no have a stretched stepping. neck. Exactly. Yeah. Well, that was the theory. Like before evolution, the theory was like, well, the the, the trees were us so the giraffes just stretched their necks to get there. Clearly not scientifically.
1: I think you were the proven. only person who watched that PBS special.
2: And he's trying to influence all It wasn't PBS. Of us. It
1: was Nick Jr. And shut up. <laughs> Made possible by the Helena Rubenstein Foundation.
4: Yes. What?
1: Exactly. That's my quote. It is your quote.
4: Well, we have a very special guest in studio tonight. Uh, he's my cousin David. You know him from the OMG 2012 sizzle video. Uh, he is currently battling brain cancer. I've known him my entire life because he's older than me. So, and he's known me a- every year of his life minus two years. So it's, 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 two.
1: it's been diminishing returns, it I is. imagine.
4: Towards infinity, we yeah. all get older. Yes, yeah. exactly. But he is live in studio. He's waving on the radio to everyone out there. So my my love to my cousin David. Uh, he came to Vegas, Mike and Michael were there, had a really great time, and, and you are part of a major community. You're part of hundreds of thousands of people that, that give a shit about you.
2: And now famous. And now and Google now you're Reel. famous.
4: You are the, yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so anyway, we've been off the air since the end of July, and, and I don't know how much has happened since then. Probably a couple of weeks' worth of stuff, I'm going to guess. A couple of benders. A couple of benders. On Monday night. Exactly. Yeah, we we worked our butt off in August. Jeez, Louise! Even without the show it was a big deal. Yeah. Well,
1: because we have nothing coming up. Right. Absolutely nothing.
4: And now we have we have everything coming up now. Right. What, what? Well, I think the biggest feat of the last couple of months, and this goes completely kudos to you, Mr. Kane. There is is the, our e-commerce platform. Yes. Which sounds like it's something yeah, really well, fancy. Yeah,
1: you, you're talking on the road, our e-commerce, but pl- our stupid
4: cancer store.
3: It's Where an an get
2: swag.
4: It's an e-commerce platform. Right, the stupid that. cancer store is now selling hundreds of items of merch a week. It's it's pretty intense. It's gotten mm-hmm. good problems. It's a good problem to have. No, no, and we got Maddie Beckett to fill all the right. Yeah, I'm just like sh- chief fulfillment <laughs> officer.
1: Wristband. <laughs>
4: stupid shirt. <laughs> <laughs> sh- no, no, you have an app on your phone that like like zaps your testicles every time an order comes in. Exactly. It's. Similar
1: to the feeling of sitting in the, uh, the Survivor co host seat. <laughs>
4: I Maybe the Dark Terror. They're tied together. Exactly. Exactly. I have a jaded History with that seat. Yeah, so the Stupid Cancer Store. Uh, really. Check it out. Yeah, Lots we're. Lots of cool stuff. How many products now? Like 15 products? Something like that. It's, it's, it's pretty
1: growing amazing. exponentially as I have little. Like moments of excitement and yes. then
2: you should buy something and take a picture of yourself
1: yes that's the other thing we love getting pictures of people with their stupid cancer crap yeah it is pretty cool I thought you were going to say it is crap it is pretty cool we love seeing your pictures so keep sending them
4: in yeah and they get tons and tons of likes on, on the wall now we post it with people it's amazing it's insta Insta celebrity insta, yes insta something
2: gotta use this for something right
4: well we also launched we have the Stupid Kids Forums which we promote every time, which are highly utilized and, and highly trafficked all day long every day. But we launched a subdivision of the forums just for Hodgkin's patients. And Ethan's calling in, he's a Hodgkin's patient. Maybe we can convince him to use the forums. Yeah. I think we should. Leverage his B level celebrity that they like to oh, joke boy. about. <laughs> hey he's not here. He's gonna be, he's calling in. So now he's not gonna call. Now me. he's not calling <laughs> Who needs him anyway? What? Where are my crickets? Right. I have to creep the cricket Here we go. Much better.
2: We can't scare him off before he gets. No,
4: there. no. He, this will be his fourth time on the show. He's like a he's like a veteran. He's like uh, um, Ed Ed. What did say? Ed Sullivan. Not Ed Sullivan. Who is Johnny Carson's number two guy? David Letterman. No, Johnny Carson, the old. Uh, hello. You're dating us. We're, we're wait. I'm too old for this, and you have no and idea I'm, what I'm talking about. And I'm about. a quarter of a century old. Okay, never mind. Uh, someone from the forums just chime in. I have no idea. Anyway, and uh, so and OMG 2012 East in New York is sold out. Yes. Everyone in New York are really pissed that we moved it from New York to Vegas, so we decided to bring it back in a smaller version to New York on September 15th. It was going to be 100 people. Now it's 235 people. So it's going to be pretty amazing. And, uh, and of course, the, the big news of the uh, the century is now we are prepping for OMG 2013 in Las Vegas next spring. And uh, we will be launching the Save the Dates and the Players Club, and we'll be talking about that. Ed McMahon, my wife just chimed in. Ed McMahon is Johnny Carson's sidekick for 40 years on the Tonight Show. Thank you, Jessica. Um, And I guess we I, I wanted to just, before we bring out Tom, I wanted to talk about, like, we're going to be going. We're like the traveling road show yes. this fall. Not even this fall, like this month. And luckily I'm not with you a lot of the time. I, that's for the best. It is. I mean, you're good to snuggle with, but there's a limit.
1: I mean, the bed has been cold. <laughs> it's like a bad country song.
4: It is. It's pretty bad. It's a, uh, so anyway, so moving
1: we, on. you are going to
4: uh Nashville? No, no.
1: Oh, we're, well, let's start we'll go in chronological All right, order. Y- you start. So we we were nominated for this Cool Award, I, I believe it's the 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 best in healthcare for the East Coast for the state classy award, right. which is happening on September 22nd. Exactly. If you remember uh long-term listeners, you'll remember that we won for the most innovative use of social media last year for this show. For this very show. Yes. Imagine that. So this year we're, of we're lost the best. yes. So we're <laughs> one of I think five or six regions, however they divided up our glorious country, <laughs> to
4: win global right. So it's, Non-profit it's, it's, and
1: like, and it's like it's like this part that part, and I think we're like this other part. That's our category. Right. The other so, part. So yeah, we're gonna part. we're gonna take this other part. You're the and, rectum of the United States. <laughs> exactly, and kick the armpit. Yeah. Rectum is more colorful. So. Hopefully we'll we'll dress up nice and maybe
4: take home an award. And I was just, we're going to have, obviously, tonight's show is all about Stand Up to Cancer, and I was just in Los Angeles and had a bunch of really great meetings with those folks out there. They're doing amazing work. Thanks for taking me, by the way. Um, you're coming with me next weekend, Tuesday, classy. And you're going to England, dude. Hello. Kenny is going to uh, England. I'm
1: practicing my...
4: What are you going there for? Some
1: some care uh, from Siemens? Uh, I beg your pardon? <laughs> yes, the, the company Siemens...
4: Not the is, Siemens Furniture Store
1: is hosting a. From what I read, it seems like it's like a, a think tank of social media nerds who
3: that's who totally
1: you manage online communities and do all this cool sh- and stuff. With, <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to make it sound cooler than it is. Right. So I'll, hopefully I'll be going to that. It's still pending. And uh, after that, we're going to actually before that, you and I are going out to Chicago. Where you'll you'll play. I'm going to be playing piano for the
4: first time in a year and a half at a public event. A you, you always
1: say that, and then you get right back up and you're like,
4: scribblings." <laughs> <laughs> like I haven't played in a while. I haven't played since 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 uh, San Diego last fall.
1: I would say it's like riding a bike, but I feel like it's even simpler
4: than. It that. is even simpler than. That. I don't I don't take that for granted. That I could sit down and play whatever I want anytime. It's it's kind of cool. So, uh, oh, and Allie Ward. We hired Allie Ward. That's a yes. big deal. Yes. We brought on our employee, full-time employee number three, Allison Ward, is our new director of programs. That guy's one of these, because that's pretty epic for a nonprofit. Employee number three, full-time employee number three. Took five and a half years. It's fine. To the process. It's fine. But it's good.
1: She, uh, she carved herself a hole, and yeah. now she's staying there. <laughs> she's stuck in <at> it. <laughs> yes. She's yet to climb out. Exactly. So we'll just throw some
4: stuff at her. And then I'm going up to Boston for the Clinical Business Expo, which is like this CEO-level uh, conference. Then I'm going in with Sarah Krug from Cancer 101, which is uh, another great organization we partner with. And uh, then you and I are going to Atlanta.
1: Well, and before that, we're, I feel like we're mementoing
4: we are our, a me- our yeah. travel
1: schedule. Yes. Nobody's going to find us because we're totally confusing them all. Yes. I'll be headed out to Nashville to attend the National Coalition of Nurse Navigators, right. one of our favorite partner
4: organizations. They do great work. Yeah, and then we'll be going to Atlanta for Critical Mass, which is the new evolution of the Live Strong Young Adult Alliance.
1: Similar to the
4: giraffe who
1: evolved to pick the higher fruit. So instead uh, bring, bring of the
4: giraffe, instead of the giraffe neck stretching to right. meet the fruit, the giraffes whose necks are longer are the ones that live. I'll take your word for it. That's how? It, what? No. <laughs> I'm
1: still confused. So we
2: dropped the giraffe. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Thanks.
1: Goodbye, Darwin.
4: Alright, well that's enough. I'm bored.
1: Alright, bring on our first guest. Alright. Why don't
4: you? Alright, no, I didn't receive a bio from him, so I'm gonna make one up on the spot while staring at him. Alright, I, I do know that he was diagnosed. Wait, what what did I just do? You just ruined the show. I just destroyed the show. Everything's right, really? done. Fantastic. Alright. Tom Lavero is a young adult survivor of Coroyal Melanova. He's a venture investor at R. R. E. Ventures. He was born in Switzerland with three web web-toed feet. Uh raised by goat farmers, and then learned how to mow the lawn for various Democrats in Arkansas. There's only one. And following that, he took an airplane trip to Bermuda and swam to New York, and he's all wet. And he just showed up here right now. And, you, you, dude, you need a bath. Tom Lovero. Does web speak? Get him here very quickly. Yes. I was going to say, efficient. You, you, you were on Facebook in Aruba this morning, in Bermuda this morning. So. Very impressive.
5: It was the Bahamas and not Bermuda, but thanks for having me. All right,
4: we do our best. So, how are you, my friend?
5: I'm doing well.
4: But you look great.
5: That's what I always hear.
4: Yeah. Uh, sorry. So let's start with your story. This is the Survivor Spotlight. We like everyone to know how it, how unique it is to be young with cancer and no one takes seriously, and you know, your friends leave you or your job and all that stuff. Tell us your your sad sob story because you're such an ugly man.
5: Um, let's see. Well. Um, no, I'm
4: serious. He's, like, really good-looking. I can't stop staring at him.
2: Beyond good-looking. <laughs> I'm um, the only woman in the room, and I think I'm the only who should be throwing the Do you have awkward button that you can hit there? I can.
4: <laughs> we have this one. There you go. That's yeah. close.
2: So, listeners, he's very good-looking.
5: Yeah. Um. So, let's see. Uh, I'm two years out um, from being diagnosed and treated. It happened very quickly. Uh, and how
4: were you diagnosed? How does one discover a uh, choroidal melanoma?
5: Sure, let me yeah let me give a little background. Choroidal melanoma is a form of eye cancer, and yes, you can get cancer in your eye. Even folks who've had cancer don't really realize that. Um, and you go into it not really knowing what's going to happen. Um, it's it's classified as a rare cancer, which means it's not that common. It's about three in a million, um, and most of the people are over 60 who are diagnosed. Um, so I was diagnosed when I was 29, two years ago. So it's fairly rare, and that makes it, I think, harder for the doctors to, to be, di- um, you know, to be sort of looking for this sort of thing. Um, in terms of how it came about, I was,
4: and what were your symptoms?
5: Yeah, I was, I was sitting in uh, class one day. I was in graduate school in business school, and um, I just started noting, noticing some floaters. If you know those little, like, squiggly lines that go across your eye. They I mess with your head. Thing. Yeah. so That's what I call a
1: Starbucks high.
5: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Except I'm, it's not similar in this situation at all. I, it would have been nice if it was a Starbucks high. But, you know, th- that's actually a good point. I didn't take it very seriously at the time. I just said, hmm, you know, no big deal, floaters. You hear about them all the time. Um, and then a few weeks later I started noticing some, like, visual or, like, some weird things going on, some, like, glowing regions. Um, one in, eye you know, or both vision. eyes? Um, see, that's the thing. It's It was impossible to tell. Right. Because you cover up one eye and you see it. You cover up the other eye and you see it.
2: And it wasn't psychic development or anything? It was really <laughs> just your eyesight?
5: Well, you go to the doctor and you tell them you're seeing things and they're not really <laughs> sure what to make of that. Right. Um, so I went to a neurologist. I had a actually a, com- a complicated medical history um To begin with, so I went to a neurologist and he said oh, it's probably your brain and gave me a couple brain scans and that didn't show anything and they sent me to an eye doctor and they said oh you're getting older don't worry so that's what the floaters are from and they just kind of gave me a uh you know quick look over and sent me on my way and 30 is the new 70 yeah <laughs> pretty much they told you yeah yeah I mean they like to, you know, think it's a sort of um, princess in the pea syndrome. Like, oh, you're getting older. They kind of tap you on the back and send you on your way. Um, and I did that two or three times. So I first started complaining in January, and it was the end of March when it started getting bad enough that I just was fed up. And I said, okay, bring me to some specialists. And how old so, were you at the time? I was 29. Okay. I saw a retinal specialist, and I saw um, – some sort of opthoneurologist, which the person who looks at like the connections between your eye and your brain, and they all kind of dismissed it and said no big deal.
2: How much of your own research were you doing at that? Oh time? my
5: God, I was on Google a lot. I was writing emails to my doctors saying, you know, I think it's this. I think it's, you know, maybe something wrong with the um, the connection between my eye and um, and my brain and
2: the Back doctors. That's when the internet becomes a blessing and a and curse because yeah. we've all been there.
5: And the doctors were saying, well, maybe it's an ophthalmological migraine, this, like, weird thing where you can get migraines in your eye. And they really just didn't know what to make of it. I have those. Those are really weird. And they were bouncing me around between all these specialists, and nobody kind of picked up the ball. And then one night I was laying in bed, and I noticed when I had one eye closed that I couldn't see very much and that I was going blind in one of my eyes. Um, That's not scary or anything? Yeah, and this was, like, right before spring break. Um, and I had a trip planned And you know, to get an appointment with the right doctor took a few weeks anyhow So it was basically April by the time I went in Saw the doctor Actually it was the nurse at first They sent me in for an, a test And it revealed that I was going blind And even at this point It's now a Friday At like 3 o'clock And they're like Well we see that you're losing some of your vision It's probably just the retina detaching Um, you know, which happens to people in their 30s, no big deal. You're just like, oh, cool. (laughs) Yeah. You know, we we can do a follow-up. And then the doctor says, you know, there is this one other test you could do. I don't think it's going to, like, really show anything where we look at the back of your retina. And at this point, I was pretty convinced that it was something to do with my retina because I felt like if it was something to do with the front of my eye, I would see it. Yeah. Like, you know, I figured it had to be something more neurological like your retina, because um, I would see it no matter which eye was closed So they did the test The doctor bolts And he sends in His like assistant or whatever His resident The deliverer of bad news And the resident was the one who said You know you have a tumor in your eye And it's now like 5.30 on Friday And I'm by myself there And um, I said Well you know what what are the chances It's um, you know, not cancer. And he said, mm, you don't get tumors there unless it's cancer. Wow. So, you know, it was just kind of like one of those. was kill. Yeah. Have a nice weekend. <laughs> yeah, that, that was what he said. He said, like, you know, on your way out, make a follow-up appointment. I had with, the
2: exact same experience. With an experience. oncologist. Yeah. There were
5: no brochures given to me. There was no counselor. It was like, well, it's 530 and I'm just the resident. And uh, the doctor took off because they didn't really want to tell you he was wrong. So you should probably follow up with somebody about that. Mm -hmm.
2: Unfortunately, you're not the only one that has that experience I've heard it from a bunch of patients, including myself It's the young
5: adult
4: experience The
2: the dermatologist sent me to the oncologist for follow-up testing And didn't tell the oncologist that that he knew that I had cancer So we walked into the office and they said So we're going to start chemo and we think we should do this And we think we should do that And my Uh, mother, my father, and I sat there saying Pardon moi, (laughs) would you like to take a step back so I can identify with that issue.
5: Did you go to spring break? So, yeah, the spring break was right before those tests. Okay. Um, So I was just on spring break uh, trying to block this out. Right. Um, But I wasn't in graduate school at the time, which is pretty intense. So I basically had to unofficially drop out at that time and then officially um, take a leave of absence once I was diagnosed for treatment, Um, which, you know, it's funny, but looking back, you know, you're kind of like, well, I have this class, and you know, a lot. I felt like a lot of the, del- some of the delay, at least, was on me because you want to just live your normal life, but um, it's it, you, you, you can't know in advance, obviously, that you're going to be diagnosed with cancer. So you try and live your normal life, and you prioritize things that, in retrospect, you shouldn't have, like going to class and doing your homework, and well, you feel guilty about that.
2: Hindsight is yeah. twenty twenty.
4: So, alright, so let's let's get to the next step then. Do you, do you have surgery? Do you have chemo? Like what what do they do for the situation?
5: Yeah, so the eye is kind of a weird thing in that you can't do much to it, right? You can't like squish it or drain it or something, right? It's a it's a sealed chamber. Yeah. So the only thing they can really do is either remove your eye if it's um a large enough mass, um, or they can treat it with radiation and try and uh, kill the tumor and mine was small enough that they opted for radiation treatment um, and at that point i was fed up with the hospital i was being treated at so i decided i elected to do the radiation treatment but i got a second opinion here at memorial sloan Kettering cancer center in new york and opted for treatment here little s- story though while i was um this i was in chicago at the time when i was uh going for some of the follow-up appointments in chicago the oncologist there the um ophthalmological oncologist was really negative negative. and you know there are some tests they can do and i don't know if you if anybody saw there was a new york times article on carotid melanoma um just a couple months back um a, and a good article it, 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 mm, <laughs> <is> it <laughs> pause yeah i mean they they said how it's very aggressive cancer, and there's a genetic test that can be done um, to determine if it's one of two types. And basically, there's a good type and a bad type, bad type being the one you don't want. Um, And uh, that was the context in in which they're mentioned in the New York Times, because there is this test they can do. The only problem is, depending on what the result is, you would think they'd be able to do something, but they can't. So if you find out you have the bad type, you just live knowing your chances, you know, of not surviving are very high and if you have the good type you feel better about yourself but it's still not certain. Right. Um so that is one of the actually sort of interesting things about this type of cancer is there is this new genetic test but most people don't get it done because you can't do anything about it and it can only add risk which seems a lot uh seems kind of illogical I think to people who aren't in my situation they say, "Oh, I would get that test." But now that I and I probably would have been one of those people, but now that I'm, you know, actually in this situation, it doesn't really make sense to get a test like that. It doesn't make sense to do it unless you can do anything about it.
4: So where are you now? Obviously, you're here. But
5: yeah, and we're very happy at you, about you that. moron. So, so <laughs> I went in, got radiation treatment for like a week. Um, they kind of pull your eyeball out of your eye, and so holy visual. They so, um What's called a plaque, basically a piece of lead attached to a piece of gold with radiation in it, to the back of your eye, and they leave it there for. Then they put it back in for a week and let it treat the cancer. And uh, they did that. Actually, it didn't hurt that much.
2: Um, it sounds painful, so no, I'm it, it glad really, it didn't. Honestly,
5: it, Were you was like
2: anesthesia? Were you out?
5: I was um, uh, totally okay. out for the for when they put the plaque in. But then for the next four or five days, I was, um, you know, kind of just chilling and uh Did you feel bit. it? Did you go down to Coney Island with it and like make some <laughs> so, money on the side? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the X-ray vision. Atlantic was, City, yeah, Atlantic was a City. Um, bling bling behind your eye. Um, but I no, but I could kill people just by looking at them. That's, That's pretty, pretty awesome. That is Great. a
2: power I would love to have. <laughs> I don't want you to have that power. They did
4: insurance cover that? It- <laughs> I mean, the power to uh, kill how, how, do you, how do you
5: code that? So it covered, yeah, right. it covered me, but not the people I killed. Okay. Um, it wasn't, you know, I didn't really care about them. That's no. good. That's socialized medicine. It's bad. So
2: was there pain during those three or four days that you were receiving the radiation?
5: Um, no. It kind of felt it, not not much. There was one point that there was, in which case they like they had this big patch over my eye, and they put it on too tight. That hurt a lot. Um, but other than that, which was kind of a mistake, no. It just felt like you had a bunch of sand in your eye. Wow. So I have to say wow. it was... And and, uh, it wasn't so bad, and I have to say that MSK was an absolutely amazing facility, and the people there were so nice that um, it was actually a pretty good experience.
2: Wow. Wow. Good. So now the treatment happens, and where are you at today? Yeah, we got about two minutes left. Yeah, I go
5: back every six months. They look at my eye, and they do some blood tests, and they make sure and do some MRIs every six months. um, And I have to do that for about 15 years.
2: Wow. And floaters and vision, how's everything?
5: Um, my le- So my left eye is the unaffected one. That one's okay. Um, my right eye, I've got a pretty big blind spot, but I still have some vision there. Wow. Um, but between my two eyes, when they're both open, I have almost 20-20 vision, wow. which is pretty That's good. That's amazing. Yeah, it's really what amazing how considered... your brain can actually take these two images and process it. Yeah. For basically the two weeks after my surgery, I couldn't see very well. I had this, like, crazy double vision. But... After about two or three weeks, my brain just adjusted, and it was just the most amazing lesson in how powerful our brains are because my brain was able to take these two crazy images that you know a normal brain wouldn't see and put it back to normal.
2: It's amazing. That's amazing that the brain can compensate
5: that I, way. I
4: remember a story from high school. My physics professor told me that there was a guy, and this is a true story. You can read it on Google or Wikipedia. He actually put glasses on that were prisms. So, like, he was looking at the world, and it looked like, you know, like everything was skewed, and he wore the prism glasses a little too long, oh, and his brain flipped so that he could see normally through the prism glasses. Oh, my God. So he could never take them <laughs> off again. Wow. Yeah, it's a true story.
5: I wouldn't have believed that before, but going through my experience, totally believe it yes. now.
1: Like, yeah. What if you have beer goggles on a little too long? I, know.
2: A... I, I know a few guys that wear yeah. beer goggles. Just saying. It's like the
1: movie
4: Shallow Hell. Yes. Shallow Hell once to go. All right, well, just in conclusion, like, obviously, you're young. You were late detection. text. The doctor didn't take you seriously. Um, were you, you know, obviously, this is very rare cancer. Do you have peer support? Did you find yourself just angry and alone, or, like, w- w- what got you through it beyond the so medicines?
5: Living in Chicago at the time, I initially got uh, in touch with uh, Johnny Immerman and Immerman Angels.
4: We love them. Immermanangels.org.
5: Um, put me in touch with a couple of young survivors in my age range, which was, really helpful. Um, And uh, to be honest, that was extremely helpful for those first few months. And then I kind of put my head down and kind of went back to my normal life to the point where I felt like I had enough confidence to kind of reemerge as a a person and be able to deal with it. But there was definitely a period of where I needed support and then a period I found where I almost didn't want to talk about things and just get back to normal. And only now, two years later, am I really feeling up to talking about it.
2: Well, that's wonderful that you're here, and we really appreciate the fact that you're sharing the story. And hopefully everyone that has an odd instance of health pursues it the way that you have. So congrats on that.
4: Very cool. And it's always good to see you. It is always good. We haven't seen you in a while. It's been a couple of months since that Saatchi event.
2: Well, now that he gets all these compliments from you boys, I know, I know, I know, I know. I'm
4: sorry i married. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. Tom Levero. Thank you, my friend. You stick around Thank you. Yep. for the show? All right, stick around for the show. We'll, we, we will embarrass you as little as possible along the way. All right, it is time for the news. Hello, I'm Kent Brockman, and this is Eye
0: on Cancer. Just the facts, ma'am.
4: Okay, here at Stupid Cancer, we promote and host hundreds of U.S. events each year and do not want you missing out on them. We're t- talking about financial webinars, fertility conferences, kayaking retreats, meet-ups, tweet-ups, and road trips and concerts, and more. All right, Kenny. All right, we just have one stupid cancer happy
1: hour coming up on October fifth in Phoenix, Arizona. It's a chapter relaunch, so we hope if you're in the area, you can go out and uh, connect with your local peeps out there and uh, come out and see Matt and I on our dual trips around the country.
4: Yes, that what we mentioned earlier. Well, the Chicago happy hour.
1: The Chicago happy hour. On exactly. when is that?
4: September twenty 20- seventh. Sh-
1: yeah, that weekend.
4: Do your job. I should do my job. <laughs> And you can always visit events.stupidcancer.com, your one-stop shop calendar for all of our social and educational events nationwide. Uh, Join the mailing list for the sixth annual OMG Cancer Summit in Las Vegas. Visit OMG2013.org. That's OMG2013.org. In the upper right-hand corner, enter your email address to receive the latest e-news updates on what's going down. Kenny? Oh, you don't have it. I don't have that. The Stupid Cancer Thank Store you, has man. over 14 awesome products for sale right now. From pins, pens, stickers, and liners to an awesome survivor Journal and the most amazing graphic tees you've seen and a new women's tee, correct? Correct. So be proud. Wear Stupid Cancer at
1: stupidcancerstore.org. All right. The Stupid Cancer Forums have over 2,500 members. This is your premier online community connect with Survivor Patients Parents and caregivers, just like you, visit stupidcancerforums.com and sign up with a one-click with Facebook.
4: And, that's and that your is stupid, stupid cancer news. news. I am excited about tonight's show. I just came back from Los Angeles on a high, and I can't think of any better way to celebrate the success than actually having the people that caused that success on tonight's show. It is my pleasure to welcome. Uh, let me cue them up. We are welcoming three extraordinary individuals. Well, two, and then Ethan. Um, (laughs) You really know how to make friends. (laughs) Dr. Philip Sharp is a uh, Nobel laureate, MIT Institute professor, chairman of the Scientific Advisory Committee of State of Cancer. Tom Chato, senior vice president of business development at the Entertainment Industry Foundation, has been working very closely with the organization since its founding in 2008, and Ethan Zahn, Survivor Winner, National Ambassador to Stand Up to Cancer, and Hodgkin's Lymphoma Survivor Personal Friend. Gentlemen, thank you for coming on the Stupid Cancer Show. Please welcome Tom Chetto, Dr. Philip Sharp, and Ethan Zahn.
2: Welcome, welcome.
4: Hello. Hello. (laughs) Shalom. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we're lacking Judaism here tonight. (laughs) I was going to
0: recite my half Torah anniversary.
4: Gentlemen, thank you so much for coming on the show tonight. I can't tell you uh, how impressed I'm. Always impressed. I've been to all three of the stand-up events since 2008, and each year they get better than ever, more impactful than ever. And uh, I I I don't even know where to start. I'd just like to have each of you sort of talk about your role in this major movement that has shaken up the world and uh, what your thoughts are on how all this is really making a difference. So let's let's start with Ethan because you're my friend and I can embarrass you more.
0: All right. Well, first of all, thanks for having me on your show. It's wonderful. Um, Yeah, but I just had an incredible trip to Los Angeles. I mean, I stand up for a lot of things, one of which is Minka Kelly, who was sitting next to me while I was answering phones. Um, So I stand up for Minka Kelly as well as a lot of other people. Um, But, I mean, as an ambassador to Stand Up to Cancer, you know, it was you know, quite an honor to be in a room with so many incredible athletes and musicians and movie stars and television um, actors and actresses. And for me to be part of that crowd is pretty cool. And to see all these people lending their face and lending their name um, to help raise awareness and help raise money for Stand Up to Cancer is uh, pretty spectacular.
2: And, and how did um, you get such a swank spot sitting next to all those very pretty people?
0: Uh, well, I had to give uh, a significant donation to Stand Up To Cancer. As you should. That's great. <laughs> I should. He's just kidding. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just kidding. I mean, I'm sorry. I'm I'm very sarcastic. But you know, I'm good friends with Tom Chiodo, and uh, you know, so he sat me next to Minka Kelly and Felicity Huff- Felicity Huffman, which is pretty cool. Actually, Eden's yeah. first born is going to be Phil Sharp. Zon. Well, He's uh, <laughs> already taken. Double- But personally, before, you know, you can get to the other people, I just need to personally say that, you know, for me, um, you know, as a two-time cancer survivor, uh, double stem cell transplant, you know, I've been on some experimental um, medicines, you know, and medicines that have been fast-tracked, you know, through the scientific process, getting out of laboratories to the, you know, in the patients for clinical trials as quick as possible, And uh, it's organizations like Stand Up to Cancer that make that possible. And, you know, I just got a report now. I think it was $81 million they raised over the weekend. And it's, it's this money that can really help save lives. And, you know, I'm one of those people who's been saved. And sometimes you donate money and you wonder, where is it going? It's going to some giant black hole. You have no idea what's happening with it. I'm just like... You need to imagine something, you know, just it's inside my body, you know, it's swirling around inside me. That's where your money is going. And, um, you know, it, I am I my life the patients like Stand Up to Cancer.
4: And kudos, kudos to that. You've really, I remember meeting you like the day you were diagnosed, and you're still here. You're doing amazing, and you're still thinner than me. So
0: you can leave. <laughs> more hair. On. Yeah,
1: and One more I hair. Might have to do with the soccer, yeah. I'm <laughs> guessing. The, the athletic component. The, the opposite to what it of does. your couch.
4: Yes. All right. <laughs> All right. I guess let's go. Uh, let's go to Tom then, because uh, what what a great le- uh, lead into Dr. Sharp and having to lead all the science. But Tom, talk to us about you know the 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 business of stand up to cancer was forged out of a new way of thinking about what was working, what wasn't working, and how to uh, how to reimagine philosophies to generate better outcomes in collaboration. Right.
3: Yes, absolutely. I think the real message here is that everybody can make a difference. Every single person, every dollar that people donate cancer research makes a difference, and anything that anyone can do, I want to first say thanks to Ethan and his real donation, as he has stood up for us and been there as we've built this grassroots movement over the last four years. Um, And uh, four years ago, nine women wanted to do something different. Everyone had been touched by cancer. Two of those nine women had cancer, were living with it. Uh, but everyone had been touched in their family. One in two men, one in three women will be diagnosed within their lifetime. They wanted to make a difference and they consulted the people that had been on the front line doing the research to find out how we could do it differently. And in determining how we could do it differently, we've worked hard in four years to come up with uh, a better way to fund cancer research, to get treatments, to patients faster, Um, and that's what led to um, the creation of an extraordinary scientific advisory committee led by Dr. Sharp, which has allowed us in four years to develop trust among the American people in showing them in 2008 some promise, something we promised we would do coming back in 2010 on our telecast and sharing how we had spent their money on on, uh, research, and uh, Dr. Sharp will talk about that. And the the great news in in 2012 on Friday is that we were able to uh, show patient stories of people being helped through clinical trials, the work that the scientists have been doing. That's been an extraordinary adventure. Uh, Ethan's correct. We raised in pledges over $81 million, and it's still coming in, and people can steal go online standuptocancer.org and donate because every dollar counts everything that everyone does counts uh it makes a difference and we we're, we're seeing a difference it's, it's extraordinary so the the grand total over the last uh 4 years duration of stand up to cancer is 260 million dollars but we're in a new place in cancer research and um we're in an important place and we need we need to do more, and uh, we're committed to put ourselves out of business.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: And we were—it was great to see you there, Matt.
4: No, and I, like I said, I mean, I, I remember just to give some historical background uh, to Dr. Sharp. I uh, first met Laura Ziskin in 2007 because I was made aware of that—that that EIF was trying to do something, and I had known Noreen Fraser through other efforts, and, and at the time, like it was just an interesting opportunity to sort of shake up the pot a little bit and say, well, where are the young adults in all of this conversation? And she invited me in. She invited our board chairman, Dr. Leonard Sender, in. We had a wonderful meeting. We went to the 08 event. And then I very slowly become, like, very enamored with the the way in which – I mean, I'm all about collaboration. Just the fact that EIF banded together with so many different agendas to put – so many good agendas, I might add to 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 focus on this one particular effort, which in and of itself engenders collaboration has been so inspiring to me as not just a survivor who wishes that this stuff existed when I was diagnosed sixteen years ago but and who's glad that it can help people like me going forward, but as a non profit executive who's trying to build his organization in the same vein where you are respected by the community because you consider other people 's opinions and factors. So with that so I mean that was a big thank you but to Dr. Sharp no one can say enough about you, uh, you obviously your your bio notwithstanding you are Nobel laureate <laughs> professor uh, you, there's no end to to your credentials I would like to first hear about how you first got started in medicine and having witnessed the amazing transformations that have gone in in the uh, fields of molecular research and 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 epigenetics. Uh can you talk to that?
6: Well, I first got started in the seventies. Um I was uh trained as a chemist, uh started thinking about the major biologies uh or advances that could really help patients and impact on society and decided the exciting stories were going to be in, in cancer research and how the the human cell changes in cancer and uh, moved to that and then arrived at MIT in uh, the mid-70s in the Center for Cancer Research that was just funded by the uh, Nixon's War on Cancer and uh, have been there ever since uh, doing research and collaborating with a lot of colleagues around and uh, advancing our understanding of, of this disease and uh, particularly the genetic changes that occur. Now we see this revolution that's been uh, brought about by being able to sequence uh, the genomes of the cancer cell and seeing all these mutations and identifying genes and pathways that work in the cell to, that are altered and make it uh, malignant and metastatic and and really fascinating new opportunities to uh uh devise new treatments and, and new understandings of, of cancer
4: i've am uh, a huge fan of epigenetics and genomics in terms of just the, the fundamental philosophy of what it means where you're not necessarily you know uh what you like you're throwing a rock to kill a giant rock to kill a little bug. Like you're going <laughs> after that bug with the exact right size thing to get the bug. I mean, it's a really kind of a layperson way of understanding it. But do you have a way of of articulating how really fundamentally different it is to to think about disease from a molecular level than from a throwing a, a Volkswagen Beetle at a, at a at a butterfly?
6: Well, it's uh, the difference between having a. Uh, heat or radiation to kill a bacteria and having a very specific antibiotic. Uh, heat will kill the bacteria and everything around it, good or bad, and the tissue that it is part of. Having an antibiotic will kill the specific bacteria that you want it to, to have killed. And and now in what we know in epigenetics and other Uh, mutational changes or changes, they're not one and the same in cancer, we can devise very specific drugs that will affect the cancer cell much more than they will affect normal cells and
0: give rise to
6: killing of
0: those cancer cells.
6: It's a more complicated story, but that's the idea.
0: And I mean, I can speak on behalf of that because, um, you know, I was a recipient of this, drug called et um also known as sgn 35 i think it was created by seattle genetics and you know my first time i had lymphoma you know they gave me the the -the run-of-the-mill medicines and i felt horrible looked horrible hair was falling out couldn't eat couldn't sleep you know i looked like what you think a cancer patient should look like because they're killing all the good and all the bad um however after i you know you know, was in remission for 20 months and I relapsed within those 20 months. This drug et cetera was now became passed by the FDA. So I was available to get it. And literally, you know, I was in my infusion was 45 minutes and I would literally run home from Memorial Sloan Kettering. And I was able to continue my life normally. Um, And like, as a cancer patient, one of the best things I think you could say or compliments you can say to, 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 you know, drug companies or doctors is, like, there are times where I actually forgot I had cancer. You know, I'd look into the mirror and I'd see a person that was worth fighting for rather than a disease I was fighting against. And so that's the difference, you know, this, this et cetera was, a, I guess it's a smart targeted therapy where literally... Whatever I don't know much about all this stuff, but it was literally attacking only the bad cancer cells in my body. And I'm sure, doctor, you can explain that a little bit better, but from a patient's perspective and the patient side of things, that was the difference to me, and it was a huge difference, like night and day.
6: I think you explained it very well. <laughs> and that we can do now for a, a subset of patients, we want as fast as possible to develop as many of those drugs as we can for as many patients as it is possible. And the Stand Up To Cancer dream teams are doing that and succeeding in remarkable ways.
4: Yeah, and I wanted to talk about the dream teams, but first, is it a quick, quick question uh, for you, Dr. Sharp? Is it reasonable to think that with the dawn of targeted therapies? the location of the cancer, like which organ, which which body part, is no longer going to be nearly as relevant as the actual genetic markup of that tumor and how those markers are utilized to affect it, regardless of geography.
6: No question. Uh, We have developed drugs over the recent five or ten years that are specific to leukemia and then found that they will work in a solid tumor. Uh, in a gastrointestinal stroma tumor. Uh, We have seen this story multiple times. It's the genetic change in the tumor that is the critical issue. It's not whether it's a liver tumor or a lung tumor or a sarcoma. If it's got that genetic change and it's a driver change, then a specific drug to it will normally have a very uh, significant effect.
4: All right. So I'm glad that I don't have an organization that starts with the body part, then.
6: No, that's good.
4: (laughs) All right. Well, Tom, let's go back to Tom, because I really think it's important that our audience understand the fundamental philosophical difference between the way you conduct dream team strategies and the way it's traditionally been done. There are pros and cons, but more pros, obviously. Uh, Can you comment on, you know, what are the dream teams? How does it work? And uh, as I was made to have it understood by Laura, you know, you're chasing the science instead of chasing the money.
3: Right. I'll um I'll I'll speak in lay terms and, and perhaps Dr. Sharp will want to elaborate. Um from our perspective we wanted to to fill the gap and make a difference. It is really important that the government funding through NIH and NCI continue to support um the research that is done and that all of the organizations that exist out there continue to do what they do to raise funds and and support and end uh to as many forms of cancer as we, we can do that with. But our 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 mission is rather simple. We we uh wanted to create a process where uh there was an opportunity for us to, to address as many cancer types as possible and to have an open process in uh uh in getting uh submissions for teams that would collaborate that would collaborate across institutions scientists that would collaborate that might not have collaborated before, so if there's something out there today that someone in in another institution could hear about tomorrow that may be working on the same thing, that they would take advantage and share that information, um, number one. Number two, uh, the process by which we fund and, and create milestones that our dream team scientists must meet in order to continue their funding is pretty rigorous um and and that we want them to translate their work from the lab to the patient in in three years' time um, mm-hmm. and and we're we're adhering very closely to to the model it's working people are meeting their milestones and we're we're seeing things happen we're going to continue that it's It's important to continue challenging ourselves to in every aspect of the work we do, whether it's the fundraising or whether it's the, the model we're using for the research or, or, or the collaborations. We want to continue getting better. You know, there, the changes that are taking place right now are different than what happened five years ago, some would say even two years ago. And we want to keep pace and and uh, continue the advances so that more people that receive a cancer diagnosis can live long and healthy lives.
2: Tom, how do you see the information technology wave affecting the work that you guys are doing? I know on the social media platforms it's fundraising related, but what about the studies as well as how people in your team are interacting with each other?
3: Well, uh, Dr. Shop, do you want to address that uh, perhaps oh, yeah. further? Because I think it's been an extraordinary leap both in fundraising and in research in the way social media is affected and and online in general has affected all of our work.
6: One of the unique uh, aspects of the stream team is that we're pulling the best people into a team from around the country and in some cases around the world. Uh, They want to work together because they're really extraordinary people. They complement each other because they have different talents, all the way from understanding the genetics to treating patients. And they need to interact to plan and change and and make optimal use of the resources they have. And this electronic media and the communication revolution has just made that possible. But in addition to that, they need to share data, and they need to share large amounts of genetic data and and patient data. And, again, uh, having the ability to formulate that data, deposit it in one form, share it visually, and discuss it is going on. And right now we have five different dream teams, and all of them are using the same data depository form uh, out at Santa Cruz in California, uh, where they can deduce from one one research team, uh, another team can look at that data and say, Oh, that tells me how to do this experiment. It tells me how to treat this patient. It tells me I should call you and ask you how to treat this patient. And they're doing that. And it, it really is a collaborative, interactive group of people now.
2: That's if progress, I, if
3: is I can real. add I'm to sorry. that, the upshot of it is reflected in an email I received today. You know, millions of Americans got to see Stand Up to Cancer on Friday, and someone said, Wanted to know how they benefit from it. It doesn't matter where they're at, whether it's a small town in the Midwest or in a town in New England or down south, wherever, if the scientists are communicating in real time or as close to real time as possible, we've cut out major gaps in time periods where I can benefit as a patient no matter where I'm at. And that's what we want to be able to do. If If that's the side effect of what we do, that's a great side effect. We every time we see that gap reduced, we're doing the right work.
6: Tom,
4: Dr. Sharp, question for you: You know, obviously, stupid cancer is all about uh, looking at at healthcare through the lens of young adults affected by cancer, and there's been very little improvement in the quality of life and survivorship um, rates in this age group, 15 to 39, and 40 years. Uh, another study from out of the COG group and the SWA group, obviously, you probably know this already, that if you treat young adult patients with pediatric protocols, oftentimes the outcomes are significantly higher. So I wanted to talk about your your, your very uh, chiseled focus on pediatrics this time around. A lot of young children's stories, young adult parents whose children were sick, great stories. Um, you're, you're looking to pursue a dream team for pediatrics, and I wholly support that because, if there isn't going to be direct young adult cancer research, if we can believe the philosophy of applying pediatric protocols to young adults, we're still going to be in a better position. Can you comment on that?
6: You're right. We'll be in a better position. The, I mean, there is a a large, significant need for better therapy, particularly in brain tumors uh, with in pediatrics as well as other tumors, sarcomas as well. And we're really excited about being able to launch a dream team in this area. I'm sure we will see really exciting collaborators from around the country wanting to come together to to make advances in patient care. I want to add that in the original set of dream teams, the objective was to be in patients by with your new t- treatment or therapy in three years. Almost every team was in patients in the first year. So we've really elected, and and the investigators and clinicians have responded uh, to focus their science to get into patients immediately, and that's where the real answers come from. We get real benefit to patients. We get real translation of knowledge into patients, and we'll hope to see that same sort of thing in pediatrics, but I, I would say this revolution that we're seeing in what is called personalized medicine or using the genetic information that changes in the in the cancer patient to treat patients is going to make that continuum from pediatrics to young adults to older adults all the more effective. We're going to be able to more effectively treat patients all along that continuum with this with this knowledge.
3: And Matt um, and Lisa, the American public responded beautifully to our plea to help us to uh raise the funds for a pediatric dream team where um you know we're uh, we're getting there and we're and we hope to announce something very soon uh but we're we're really proud that we're going to be able to um to focus on pediatrics but now we have I, what we haven't spoken about are the uh grants that we have made to innovative researchers we call them innovative research grants for high risk high reward um, individuals uh not teams individuals but they're working in labs with others also and uh they're um, the as Dr. Sharp can testify the 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 researchers the innovative research grant recipients are working with other dream teams our, our teams are not only collaborating within their own groups and institutions at uh, across institutions but among dream teams and now
0: with the uh, other researchers the INDI- IRGs and and one thing I just like to add philosophically you know I think the general perception of you know that America or the world has of you know cancer is like there's winners and there's losers you either like win against cancer and stay alive or you lose against cancer and you die but there's a huge percentage of the world that is living with cancer, you know, and that's okay too. And you know, some of these, you know, I know we're all looking for a cure. Like, let's find a cure. But there's also a lot of, uh, I guess, research and in science going. I would going into those drugs that can, for lack of a better word, you know, keep the cancer at bay. You know, so you can live with cancer. Um, as an option as well, which is, I think, really important for people to understand it also.
6: Most people in this day and age live with cancer. We right. treat, it comes back as you have had or others, and you get a relapse and you retreat, and And we're getting more and more effective treatments uh, in terms of uh, prolonging the control of the disease. We cure some. We would like to cure a lot more. We treat and 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 improve the quality of life of people, and we'll take a win any way we can take a win. Right. But the other the other thing I would say, and I I do think this needs to be acknowledged, every person who's involved in a clinical trial, trying to advance the treatment of cancer, is contributing. If they mm-hmm. lose, they still contribute, and it's it's remarkable how many people have volunteered. To advance our understanding of cancer by being involved in clinical trials, it's just a wonderful participation in, in conquering this disease. Rand, right, I think we
4: could we could probably wrap up in the next couple of minutes talking about clinical trials because the enrollment is so challenging, and there are so many different factors from the patient advocate side, from the physician education side, from the access side. Uh, can, uh, Dr. Sharp, can you com- uh, just comment on the state of clinical trials today, and is there a role? In, in the, the, the stand of the cancer model that in some way encourages a revisitation of how to improve them or improve access to them and their outcomes?
6: Well, I mean, every one of the DREAM teams are involved in clinical trials. They work closely with the patient. The clinical trials are to benefit the patient. Our treatments are getting more and more effective even as they go into early clinical trials. So meaning patients who, who uh, have had other treatments and now coming to to a clinical trial. A, a remarkable example is this epigenetic trial that's going on at John Hopkins, where the it looks as if treatment with one of these agents uh, is priming patients so they respond to treatments they have previously failed. So they've had a relapse. If you treat immediately, you see no effect, no benefit, treat with this epigenetic drug, and in many cases, not in all cases, but in many cases, you can see sensitivity again. So it, it, it's it's um, it's really a, a remarkable, it uh, needs to be extended, but a, a remarkable advance in, in how patients being involved in clinical trials benefit themselves, but they also contribute to knowledge that conquers uh, the disease for others in the future. So they make a little difference in the world, or a big difference in the
2: world. And, Tom and Dr. Sharp, I also just wanted to point out something that's happening as um, I'm 14 years past my treatment of lymphoma and public perception of cancer. And the fact that your organization, Stand Up to Cancer, is bringing the cancer for all ages to the public eye is really a phenomenon that I think we've waited a long time to Come to. So, as far as it being on over 20 networks at one time and available on Hulu and through all these social media yes. challenges, I yes. mean, that's huge for all of us.
3: Yeah, I think, oh, it's so important. I remember when my grandmother was diagnosed with breast cancer, uh, she was never told. The family never used the word when I was a little boy, ever um my mother had breast
2: my family <laughs> yeah my
3: mother had breast cancer and um there is there are so many ways to uh, increase uh, the public awareness and understanding of cancer talking about it doing this telecast there's there's the uh the showtimes uh the big C with Laura Lenny uh that it, it, you know, there's a television show about it uh, a person in the fight against cancer there was this year's uh, Seth Rogen film, Fifty Fifty, really terrific representations. Um, and now, you know, as you saw on our telecast, we had patient stories, people talking about it, and all of the different phases. As Dr. Sharp said, if you are part of a clinical trial, whether you win, lose, or draw, you are part of uh, enhancing the science and the understanding, and you will help someone in this world, and you help your family too um uh through through an understanding you know it's a it really takes a village to cope with cancer uh from- from all sides but yeah, the telecast we were delighted we not only had the patient' stories but we had some of the patients there in the audience with us whose stories we were telling on the telecast.
2: So it was really impactful to see everyone there, as well as we call cancer the family disease, that it impacts us all as we're going through it. So kudos to you guys for incorporating that and making the show grow each time that it's broadcasted.
3: Uh, I think, you know, that speaking of taking a lot of people, the family disease that it is, uh, to in order to conquer it. I, and I want to also say that, you know, it, with Stand Up to Cancer and the entertainment industry foundation we leverage uh, uh, all of the assets and support that we gain um within the entertainment industry all the celebrities that participated volunteer their time to be not only a part of the telecast but like Ethan have been Im- Im- ambassadors for us throughout the year whether it's events its interviews um whatever it takes to support whether it's writing a blog or that's really important, and we've had some extraordinary donor support. We have and not only the public, but corporations and foundations and uh, private philanthropists who have supported us um, since uh, our inception. Ma- Major League Baseball, our founding donor, mm-hmm. just a, they have used their assets uh, to reach people, to talk about it, to make it, as Lisa said, Something that we're all not afraid to talk about Or to face together So we're incredibly grateful Whether it's in Safeway supermarkets Throughout the country Because the Safeway Foundation um, uh, Supports our work The work that we fund uh, Or it's MasterCard Or or whomever Every dollar counts and all of that support You know everybody that works Anywhere is going to be touched by cancer
0: And I know It's
3: like Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I'm done.
0: No, I'm sorry No, I just wanted to add to your list of incredible partners because, you know, K-Swiss has partnered with Stand Up to Cancer to create this really cool, in you know, endurance athlete gear. So if you want to run a marathon or if you want to do a triathlon, there's some really cool K-Swiss Stand Up to Cancer branded clothing. And, you know, like even the television show that I was on, Survivor, you know, we formed a partnership with Stand Up To Cancer, Survivor, Stand Up To Cancer, and I was lucky enough um, to this past weekend to present a check for $42,000 to Stand Up To Cancer because all the props from the show Survivor each season are auctioned off on eBay, and that money goes to Stand Up To Cancer. So it's these really cool, clever partnerships that just really build the brand and raise awareness and raise money, and I just think it's it's spectacular because, like we said 10 years ago, you know, there was taboo and there's a lot of uh, stigmatism associated with cancer.
3: Yeah, we had all four major networks supporting us, 21, more than 21 cable networks, and I, I believe uh, we were aired in 175 countries. And, um, you know, people can find out a lot more about Stand Up To Cancer and how to get involved or to find out more information or get connected in some way. Um, At StandUpToCancer.org.
4: Yeah, I can't thank you guys enough for taking the time to come on the show. We're we're about out of time, but I I just wanted to comment, you know, as a marketer and a social um, sort of like a cause brand nerd that I am, I, I think the way that you have partnered with major brands out there has been very tactful, very professional, and very courteous to the people that you're soliciting from and to. So kudos to you for being very intelligent about the way you do the, these things. Instead of just, you know, there are other organizations that that don't do that nearly as well and often times mislead people. So and Matt,
3: b- Matt, on that note though, we thank you and Stupid Cancer. You are one um, lean mean team who, who <laughs> serve a population that are so important for the the rest of us to know about and do something about and make a part of our work. And you're also one of close to a hundred advocacy groups who have helped to band together and support Stand Up to Cancer since the beginning and we're very grateful for the work that you do.
4: And I and I appreciate that. So the feeling is mutual and I'd just like to thank uh Phil Sharp, uh, Tom Cheddo and Ethan Zahn for coming on the show. Stand up to Cancer aired this Friday, uh this past Friday. Uh, is it available on YouTube to watch the the re the re uh, broadcast? Hulu. Hulu, Hulu. Okay, there you go. I should be paying and the, attention. And make, make sure you watch the pre-show of Hulu too, because that's when I'm on, and that's the <laughs> part. All right, the Ethan's on only section of the Hulu piece. And go out to uh, go
1: to Best Buy and pick up uh, Survivor Africa
4: on DVD. Yes. <laughs> All right, gentlemen. Thank you so much. Good luck to you guys, and we look forward to more good things out of Stand Up to Cancer. Thank,
0: thank you, guys. All right, Thank you, guys. Thank you, everyone. <laughs>
4: Good stuff.
2: Well, thanks everybody. That's tonight's show. Is our 200. Hang on.
4: We're not done yet. I got to cue up the music.
2: What? Music waiting. You're way Sorry. too
4: passionate and, and ahead of your time and interesting. And no, we have Let's to go. make fun of Tom some more. Oh okay. <laughs> what do you think Back of the show? To
5: That's was great. I think you had a good mix of uh, survivors and some. Nobel laureates? I mean, that's pretty impressive.
4: I mean, the idea that they could invent uh, a chemotherapy for, like, you know, uh, for for stomach cancer, but it works for your tumor, it doesn't matter where the tumor is. It's the genetic markers, right?
5: Yeah, I mean, I think we're, it's funny. You can look at it sort of glass half full or, you know, half empty, and 100 years from now, there may be cures for everything, right? But for the last, what, 10,000 years, the cancer's that a lot of people have today there were no treatments for. Right. And we're living at this just amazing time where there are these treatments coming out and I just feel lucky to have been born at this time when there are actually treatments for these sorts of things. So
2: And we're well, protecting all of those healthy cells in addition to
4: Well that's the part that I find amazing. Like I remember when I when they when I had my uh my uh brain radiation I can't even pronounce that. I had a clinical trial of the brain radiation. Like a part of it was instead of just Throwing you in like the radiation chamber, like Chernobyl. Part of it was like this proton beam therapy, which which they have now, which we take for granted. But it works similar to how like how the chemo works. It just knows exactly where the tumor is and only affects those cells, and then escapes the brain without damaging anything else. It's it's miraculous technology. Anyway, I digress. But that's a good show. I, I had a, such a great time. The show was really. Well produced. The stories were great. The talent was great. I, did, I think they did not overdo it with celebrities. I think it was very humble, and well, well, just overall good stuff. Stand Up to Cancer is the real deal. They are the real way to raise uh, raise uh, money for cancer research. They work at the American Association for Cancer Research, which is a vetted industry uh, juggernaut of, of good stuff, and they 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 make things happen. Here, they made drugs in a year. Okay, one year. They brought drugs to market in a year. That's unheard of. Kenny, your pharmacy says, and how often do you see new drugs? Never. Yeah, existing drugs. Existing. I see all. Yeah. I used to see all the time. Yeah. All right. Well. Uh, all right. Well, that's it. Time for our closing sequence.
6: Prepare to activate. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh,
4: internets. You ever seen a grown man naked?
6: And so, to all
0: of you, a fond farewell.
4: Hooray, I'm helping. You are a
0: meathead.
2: Oh, Magoo, you've
0: done it again. That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer.
2: Okay, folks, that is our final part of the show, our 236th broadcast. We hope you had as much fun as we did, and here at the cancer deck in New York City.
4: Poking a stick at (laughs) stupid cancer. Like to thank our guests. Ethan's on, Tom Shoto, Phil Sharp, and the one and only Tom Levero. In studio, Maddie Beckett, Kenny Kane, and my co-host tonight, the night, Scott, thank you very much. Next week's show.
2: We have Shannon Miller, a young adult survivor of ovarian cancer, Olympic gold medalist, decorated American gymnast, and the founder of the Shannon Miller Lifestyle. John Sundquist, the young adult survivor of ewing sarcoma, decorated Paralympics eraser, racer, author of Just Don't Fall. And also Eric Chantel, young adult survivor of testicular cancer, Olympic gold medalist, and decorated Olympic swimmer.
4: Yes, we have three Olympic athlete cancer survivors under 40 next week. Do not miss the show if you've missed any of our past shows. Download them all for free on iTunes at iTunes.stupidcancer.com or check out the archives at stupidcancershow.org. Remember, folks, if it ain't stupid, it ain't cancer. Live from the chemo deck on behalf of Lisa Bernhard, myself and our whole team here at the Stupid Cancer Show. Have a great week and we'll see you back next
3: Monday.